0: Hello, welcome to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Here you will find cutting-edge information provided by the best experts in the world, so you can learn how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Bruno de Gama is the Brazilian Health Nut in a mission to solve the problems you have when trying to lose weight forever. He is a nutritional therapy practitioner a certified personal trainer, and a holistic lifestyle coach by the Czech Institute. Don't forget to say hello and sign up to our free newsletter at www.brazilianhealthnut.com. Let's go!
1: Right. Thank you so much, David, for being here with me today. I super appreciate your time. Can you tell a little bit about your background, your story? How did you become a naturopath?
2: Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I guess it, it, it actually started in New York when I saw a, a class at a college in New York that was called Nutrition Against Disease. Uh, I think I was probably 17 years old, and I'm 63 now. And it looked like an interesting course, so I signed up for it in a, in a different, different college, and I took just that course with them. And it was a, a medical doctor that was teaching uh, the room full of students how he treated all sorts of different types of health conditions by changing people's diets, putting them on supplements, uh, doing different tests like hair analysis, uh, checking them for any different types of allergies or sensitivities and having them avoid those substances or foods and it was fascinating it got me very interested and i never stopped learning from that point i just kept on going and going and going and reading books and getting magazines and taking classes and then it was seminars and then it was conferences and then it was professional classes and uh... Mm -hmm. at some point after doing that for a long long time i decided to stop uh... my other occupations of which i have had many (laughs) and about twenty five years ago uh... changed over to do nothing but helping people get well
1: Cool. That's a nice
2: story. So
1: you see a lot of different conditions with people. What do you do when somebody comes to you and like, Oh, David, I need to lose some weight. What, how do you start this conversation?
2: Well, uh, anybody that comes to see me has to fill out a very extensive six-page questionnaire, a two-page form of all their symptoms. Um, and just as important is they have to keep me a, a diet log or diet diary for seven days. And I say, Be very careful. Don't make any changes just because I'm going to look at it. Mm. Make sure you eat the way you normally eat for the entire week. Make sure you don't try to remember the food at the end of the day, but you bring a paper with you. So at each meal or at each snack, as soon as you're finished, you write down what it was. And the first thing I do is go over what they've been eating. And generally, I see all of the weight gain foods they've been eating, which they don't realize it. And all of the foods that they uh, have not been eating that they should be eating – And so I start to teach them why what they're eating is keeping their weight on.
1: Mm, So it's kind of like a detective game that you're playing with with your client. And so diet and weight loss, of course, there is a huge relationship. Why diet so important to to lose weight?
2: Why is diet so important to lose weight? Well, how much we weigh is 100% uh, dependent on what we eat. Mm -hmm. So... Most people don't think that. Most people think how much they weigh is completely dependent on the amount of exercise they do. Yes, exactly. But that's not true. That's not true at all because when they've done research studies on weight loss and on exercise and on diet, they've always found that diet is about 90% of uh, what you weigh and exercise is about 10% of what you weigh. Mm -hmm. Therefore, lots and lots of people are exercising quite a bit and they are still massively more weight than they want, and they can't seem to figure it out because they're exercising three days or four days a week or five days a week for an hour or an hour and a half, and they're sweating, and they're doing all these things, and yet they're not losing weight, and it's because 90% is what you eat, and everything they're eating are weight-gain foods. And I have a name for these weight-gain foods. I call them sabotage foods because they're sabotaging your body's ability to do what it should do and what it wants to do. And that's that that category of sabotage foods includes starch, sugar, and alcohol. Anything in those three categories, starch, sugar and alcohol, and then I have to teach people everybody knows what sugar is, but they don't know where it's hiding. They don't understand that when they eat a piece of fruit, that's loaded with sugar. They go, Oh, but it's got all sorts of other things in it. Yes, it does. But it's loaded with sugar. Does it taste sweet? So starches, sugars, alcohols, I have to explain to them all the foods that those are in and why they're causing this problem. And then when we greatly increase the amount of healthy fats that they're eating, and I have to teach them which fats are healthy fats, and greatly increase sometimes the amount of animal protein they're eating, and then greatly reduce or maybe even for, for two months eliminate as an experiment so they can see it, uh, all of the starch, sugar, and alcohol, and all of a sudden the weight starts coming off, hmm. and they're not as hungry during the day, and they don't need snacks anymore, and they feel better, and they go, Oh my goodness, this is exactly opposite what my doctor and my dietitian told me, but you're right, everything is going in the right direction now.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you, you talk a, a lot about different topics here, I want to cover with you throughout this conversation. One question I have for you is why do you think there are so many people who still believe in this? exercise more, eat less approach. Why is that so inside of like our culture?
2: Well, that's easy. That's, a, that's, a, that's an easy-to-answer question. Um, if you ask a thousand people that are just walking down the street in some country, if you're sick or there's anything wrong with your body, whether it means that you weigh too much or you have a pain uh, or, or anything at all, what is the correct thing to do? Most of those people will say talk to my doctor. And since the doctor is given incorrect information about food and diet, they are taught completely wrong. And they weren't always taught completely wrong. If you go back about 75 years ago, before the the food industry got a hold of everything, uh, they were being taught correctly. So if you go back 75 years ago, the doctors knew that people needed to eat fats, people needed to eat animal proteins, people needed to eat uh, little or or less uh, of the starches and sugars and alcohols because they cause problems, but there were a bunch of research studies that were done incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um, the Probably the most important one uh, that started everything out wrong was called the Seven Countries uh, Study that was done by Ansel Keys. Yep. And what he did was he had 11 countries to look at in which these 11 countries had very good um, uh, background research on how much fats and oils the population of those countries ate and what was their heart disease level. And what was interesting was that he chose just the seven countries that had more heart disease and ate too much fat in his eyes. So in other words, he thought they were eating a lot of fat and they had a lot of heart disease. And all of the other countries where the people were eating large amounts of fat and they had less heart disease because there isn't any association between those two he just simply didn't talk about those and so he did this gigantic study which looked as though it was linking eating fats to heart disease even though there were just, you know lots of uh countries that showed that the opposite was true and this got published and everybody looked at it they didn't realize that he was lying they didn't realize he was misleading people and we are still thinking that fats are a problem and when you put people on a low fat diet you cause weight gain and you cause hunger all day, and they keep eating.
1: Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Uh, That brings the the conversation back to macronutrients ratio, low-fat versus low-carb. Can somebody lose weight on a low-fat diet, or it must be a low-carb diet?
2: Well, if you bring the calories low enough, even if the foods you're eating are wrong and are likely to increase your risk of cancer and heart disease and diabetes, uh, you will still, if you get them low enough, you can lose weight. So if somebody that should be on, let's say, a a 2,000-calorie-a-day diet uh, goes on a a 1,000-calorie-a-day diet, and it happens to be a uh, mostly starch diet and very, very low fats and proteins, they're still starving their body so much that even though they're on a very unhealthy diet, they will be able to lose weight. Mm. But they should be on a much higher calorie diet with the correct nutrients, and then they can lose weight in a healthy way. So you can lose weight both ways. I mean, it, it's, uh, this, is, this is a stupid comparison, but it's sort of like, yeah, if somebody cuts off their arm, they lost weight. But that's not the way to do it.
1: Right. So it's not sustainable and it's not healthy because – it's much more than just the weight. It's about your how you feel, your energy levels, how you're sleeping. All those other factors into consideration besides the weight. The weight's kind of like a consequence, right?
2: The weight is a consequence. If we do all the right things and eat the correct way, then the weight for that person will eventually normalize to where it should be. Um, and and I say where it should be because I often have a couple that comes to me, and uh, sometimes the man does not weigh as much as he wants to. He's too skinny. And the wife, very often, it's usually that way. You know, the woman weighs too much, the man weighs too little. Uh, And and she would like to maybe lose uh, 100 pounds, and he would like to gain maybe 10 or 15 pounds. And I teach them the proper way to eat, which fats are good and they need to eat more of them. Uh, you know, which proteins are good and they need to eat a little bit more of that, uh, which of the vegetables are starch vegetables and they need to cut them out or eat much, much, much less of that, drink less alcohol, have less sweets, have less fruit. And all of a sudden, over the next six months, he gains weight and she loses weight because when you give the body what it needs, it tries to go toward correct.
1: Hmm. Yeah. You're giving a lot of micronutrients as well. It's not just about the carbs, protein and fat. You're making like a nutrient dense kind of diet.
2: That's correct. The the, the most important diet is a nutrient dense diet and we do not consider starch to be a nutrient. Uh, nutrients are vitamins and minerals and, and mm-hmm. antioxidants and all these, those are different nutrients. You know, if somebody thinks, well, starch is a nutrient, well, no, not really. Starch is one of the parts of food, but it's not something the body needs. Mm-hmm. Starch is not required. Vitamins are required. Minerals are required. Of course, there are, some, there are some things that are not required. We don't need a fluoride to be healthy. We don't need chlorine to be healthy. We don't need um, uh, lead or mercury or nickel to be healthy. But, you know, most other things that we can get in our foods, we do need to be healthy, but starch is not required. And we know this because there are a couple of populations such as the Maasai warriors and the original Eskimos many years ago before we got in there and screwed them up uh, that never ate anything that was produced by the land. Everything they ate were birds, fish, fish animals they were either land-based animals or sea-based animals but if there was something growing you know like a plant they never ate it neither of those populations ate it and they had immaculate health so we we therefore can prove that these things that people will point to and say well you have to have this for health no you don't you there are vegetables that are certainly not going to hurt us and other vegetables that are too starchy but neither one is in, is necessary for health it's just which ones are okay and which ones are harming us
1: Mm-hmm. This reminds me of an uh, article that I was reading, and they were talking about the Kitavans, the society. Have you heard of them? They are from Papua New Guinea. The Kitavans. And they, they have a pretty uh, high I, I have read a number of things
2: from Okay, I have read a number of uh, articles on people from different areas, including Papua New Guinea. Uh, one of the things that people need to understand is that if you happen to be and there are some tribal populations around the world for which this is true, but they're very, very, very few. It might be one one zillionth of the world population where they are nomadic. They are always outside. They are never watching TV. There's no electricity. They are never in a house. They don't have any houses. You know, there may be tents or caves. Uh, they are always walking and 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 you know finding the the different places uh, that the the food that they want to gather is. So they're they're exerting a massive amount of exercise hmm. to the way we are sitting in our houses, sitting in our offices, and then maybe occasionally going out and doing some exercise. Those people can eat a much greater amount of the foods that are hurting us, and they will burn them off.
1: Mm. Okay, so it's related to your physical activity levels as well, in terms of starch and fruits. And I remember when I was taking your class in San Diego, you did the topic of fruits, right? And you were talking about how fruits has changed throughout the last decades.
2: Yes, yes, massive difference, because if you go back... To when we were, I mean, everybody knows if they went to school that originally we were what they call hunter-gatherers. You know, we didn't have stores, we didn't have electricity, we didn't have cabinets, we had no refrigerators because there was no electricity. We hunted and gathered the things that we ate. And during that time, there was no science. So therefore, there weren't any early-season, mid-season, and late-season varieties of Uh, fruits or vegetables, because this is something that we did with hybridization, and then later, when we made it really toxic, genetic modification. So the only things that were available were the ones that our planet produced all by itself for us. And so you might be able to find for, in some parts of the country, six weeks of the year, in other parts, eight weeks, sometimes even 10 or 12 weeks of the year, you would find some fruit and some vegetables that were growing, and the tree, maybe an original apple tree that had things that we would look at, and we would all look at them and say, wow, that's an apple, and you'd grab it and bite into it, and you'd make a face because it was so sour, because there was so little sugar in it. Well, now we have hybridized these to make the amount of sugar they contain 200, 300, 400 times, uh, percent higher, and the same thing with various different fruit. All the other different food out there, and fruits and berries, and, and just about everything, they're they're making them. Very, very sweet because the population has a sweet tooth. But originally, we could only find them for 6 or 8 or 10 or 12 weeks during the year, and then there was nothing else that was going to be ripe again until next year when that season came up again. We couldn't go to the store. We couldn't go to our freezer. We couldn't go to the refrigerator. We couldn't ship them in by something that we now know is called an airplane or a boat or a a freighter or a, a truck from some other part of the country where over there they are still ripe. We had to get what we had locally and so we very, very rarely had the things that now we can eat every day.
1: Hmm. What about, what? what's your favorite fruits nowadays in this time? <laughs> Do you have any? Well, my
2: favorite fruit, sure, my favorite fruit would be the ones that we have enough research on that they're really, really loaded with nutrients and loaded with antioxidants and not quite as much sugar. And most of the ones that are the most loaded seem to be the little berries. So blueberries, raspberries, uh, elderberries, blackberries, loganberries. The only berry that I do not uh, consider to be in my category of of favorite fruits is the one that's been hybridized and hybridized and hybridized to make it much, much sweeter and do all sorts of things we don't want. And that's the strawberry. Mm -hmm. So strawberries I almost never eat. But all of the other berries where the inside and the outside are... Almost the same color because in in nature, color means nutrients. You know, in our house, color means something called a pigment, where they add it to your wall to get the paint to be a certain color. But in nature, the nutrients are all different colors. So if you take a raspberry, uh, or you take a blackberry, or you take a loganberry, and you cut them in half, the inside parts are exactly the same color as the outside parts. That's how loaded they are with nutrients. If you cut a strawberry in half, the outside which has the elagic acid and all the good things for us, in the red, the inside is all white. It has totally different amounts and much lesser amounts of these fabulous nutrients. If you cut a standard blueberry in half that we're all used to, the outside is dark blue-purple, and you cut it in half and the inside is either white or light green. But if you go online or to a local store that carries wild blueberries, the ones that were never hybridized, and you cut that in half, Oh, my goodness, the inside is the same color as the outside. So I only eat wild blueberries. So those are my favorites because they're much more, as you said earlier, nutrient-dense.
1: Hey, guys, what's up? Bruna Gama here, Brazilian Health Nut. And let's take a little break from the show because I would like to offer you something. If you go to my website, www.brazilianhealthnut.com and click on the page Burn Fat Forever You can go ahead and claim your free consultation with me right now, okay? Or you can just send me an email at brazilianhealthnut at gmail.com. So you can start to lose weight and feel healthier right now, okay? So go ahead and claim your free consultation with me and remember that spots are limited, okay? Now let's get back to the show. And all these people, so doing juices and cleansings and detox with a lot of sugar, they are doing completely wrong, right?
2: They are doing completely wrong. You are exactly correct. The, the, when somebody has a cleanse that you're using uh, molasses or maple syrup or a whole bunch of apples, uh, you know, apple juice, uh, you're bringing in a gigantic amount of sugar, and that's not the way to cleanse. You know, if somebody wants to uh, have really, really super unbelievably nutrient-dense foods. Those are called animal meats. If the animal was correctly raised, animal food is some of the most nutrient-dense food there is. And if you wanted a vegetable that was really, really, really nutrient-dense, and of course it is something that we couldn't get a long time ago because we didn't have these devices that we have now that we can buy and have in our kitchen, but nonetheless, we could do that now. You could take a carrot or you could take broccoli or cauliflower or kale or Brussels sprouts or a cucumber, and you could make them even more nutrient-dense by removing the part of them that contains zero nutrients. There are no nutrients of any kind in fiber. So if you put them into a juice extractor, I don't care which brand it is, which takes the fiber out, and you can either you know put it in your garden for the earthworms or whatever you want to do with it, but you take the fiber out, then what's left is much less quantity, much less bulk, but it's all the nutrients. So you have greatly increased the nutrient density. So if somebody says, well, I want to do what they call a juice fast – I don't say, absolutely, you shouldn't do that. It's not healthy. I go, well, if you're going to do that, there are a couple things you can do to make it very, very healthy. Hmm. Uh, Make sure that it doesn't contain any fruit and it's all vegetable juices. Even if they're vegetables that have some sugar in them, they're still very high. So even if you put in carrots as the uh, the main vegetable, to make it taste good. It's still very nutrient-dense. Add some broccoli and some cauliflower and some celery and uh, maybe a cucumber, you know, any of those different things. And if the taste isn't too strong for you, you can add some other nutrient-dense things that help with detox. You could break off and put in a clove of garlic. You could cut in and put in a small piece of ginger, otherwise it'll be too hot for most people. And you put them in your juice extractor, and you throw out or give your earthworms all of the fiber, which has no nutrients, and now you have very nutrient-dense juice. But if you want to do that for a longer period of time, so instead of doing this juice fast with all these phenomenal vegetable juices – and by the way, you can't buy those vegetable juices in the, uh, in the store – because they've processed them in such a way to kill a lot of what you need. You have to have your own juicer, or you have to be in a store where they're juicing it right in front of you. Mm -hmm. Once it's in the cabinet, they've already processed it. But if you want to make it so instead of doing this for three or four days, you go, wow, I feel so good when I'm doing this. Wow, this is amazing. How about I try doing this for a month? Well, if you don't want to lose a tremendous amount of your muscle tissue, it's called muscle wasting, then you must have enough proteins and fats coming in as well. So then we need to have something which also doesn't contain any fiber, which is also raw, which is also nutrient-dense and I usually, to make it easier for people, I have them use eggs. So I say you need to get somebody uh, either in the store or somebody that you know that's locally in which their chickens are out in the field, they're eating worms and insects like they're supposed to, they're in the sunlight, Uh, they're the, the good quality chickens that can run around and fly, not the new ones that can barely move, that have been bred to be able to give more meat, Uh, They're in a pasture that has grass and weeds, and those chicken eggs are very healthy. They're not going to get anybody sick, Um, and you crack one or two of those into each of your glasses of juice, and now you're also getting the proteins and fats which give your body what it needs so you don't start losing muscle on this fast. Now if you want to do that for many, many weeks, you want to do that even for three or four weeks, you're not going to lose muscle because of it because the the fats and proteins are being brought in as well as all the vegetable juices. Then you can extend it if you do that.
1: Mm, Amazing. So I do something similar to myself and I love the taste. So I'm here in Brazil. I have my father, my mom and my brother. So I was doing something for them. And when I give to them, they like, oh, my God, this t- tastes horrible. And for me, it tastes amazing. <laughs> and so how? what's your favorite re- replacements for sugar? Like, I'm, I don't want to add white sugar there, but I know we talk about this in the class. There, there are replacements for sugar. What are your favorite ones?
2: Uh, favorite replacements for sugar are the three natural forms of sweetness uh, that were not developed in a laboratory, uh, which have soluble fibers in them um, which taste very sweet and yet contain no sugar and do not lead to diabetes and do not feed cancer cells and those three are stevia which most people pronounce incorrectly they think that it's called stevia but it's stevia but no matter how you pronounce it it's a green plant it has steviosides and ribodiacides inside it which are chemicals in nature that are hundreds of times sweeter than sugar. If anybody ever tastes a, a green leaf and just takes it off of a stevia plant and eat it, they're amazed. That's why it's sometimes called a sweet leaf plant or the sugar leaf plant. So, stevia is one. Uh, another one is yacon, Y A C O N, I can't see. And yacon is a tuber, it's a root that grows underground. It looks like a big potato, uh, but it is. When you cut it in half and you see what the inside looks like, you go, wow, so, so that's, that's a, a tuber like a potato. It's going to be all predominantly made of starch, which David says we shouldn't eat. No, it looks like starch, but that's all fiber, and therefore it doesn't turn into sugar. And when you squeeze these and get a juice out of them, and then you slowly you know, simmer away or boil away the water to concentrate the flavor, it gets to look like a molasses. Uh, It tastes like a cross between a very light, flavorful molasses, not a a really strong one, and a little bit of honey. But it doesn't have any sugar in it, and it's very, very sweet. So yacon syrup is a second one, stevia and yacon syrup. And the third one is called lohan. Uh, Lohan is the muck fruit. Uh, The botanical name is lohan. It's grown in China. And the lohan is spelled many different ways. One of the ways it's spelled is L-U-O. H-A-N, but pronounced Lohan, it also has a soluble fiber inside the fruit, which isn't sugar. But, and therefore, the body doesn't use it as sugar, but it's also, if you concentrate it, hundreds of times sweeter than sugar. So anytime somebody can find either stevia or yacon syrup, Uh, or Lohan. Those are completely acceptable to put in as a sweetening agent. And if somebody tries them all and says, well, I don't like the taste of this one, I do like the taste of that one. I don't care which one people like. That's a very good way to sweeten things.
1: Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. I have a friend, David, and she's having some problems with weight and she's always asking me what to do and... Generally, she's doing some, some kind of cutting calories diet. The, what's the role of calories? Do you, do you care about it at all? Or w- what's happening when somebody is cutting calories from their diet in, ter- in biological terms?
2: Well, it depends on which calories get cut. Uh, There was a book written by a medical doctor many years ago, which I I really like. Um, He got a couple of things very wrong, and he got a couple of things very right. And the title of the book was, uh, Calories Don't Count. Because what he found was that if all the people wanted to lose weight, if he increased their calories by having them eat much more fat, but he pulled out the starch, sugar, and alcohol, they all lost weight. So they were eating more calories and they were losing weight. So calories don't count really isn't true. Calories do count because you can eat enough of even a good calorie to gain weight. You can certainly do that. Hmm. But if you restrict calories without making sure that everything that you are still eating is so nutrient-dense that you're not also reducing the amount of many nutrients that the body needs for long-term health, then you're hurting yourself. And so what we want to do is switch calories. So I will tell people it's, it's too bad that, you know, if we were uh, uh, all mathematicians, uh, we could just get onto a website and real quickly figure out exactly how many calories we're eating every day. And then for 30 days, just as an experiment, we were to take anything that we currently eat from starch or sugar or alcohol and replace it with the exact same number of calories of a healthy fat and a healthy animal protein. All of those people would notice during those 30 days that they are now starting to lose weight. And they would usually go, I don't understand this. I'm eating the exact same number of calories. My doctor said it's calories that make a difference. My dietitian, who knows just as little as the doctor, said my calories are what makes a difference. How come I'm now losing weight and I'm eating the same number of calories? And it's because It depends on how the calories are working in the body. Mm -hmm. Cool. Awesome.
1: In terms of foods, you talk about the sabotage foods, starch, sugars, and alcohol. What else should people be avoiding? Is there something else that you completely like, oh, avoid this as much as you can?
2: Well, as far as foods, those are really the most important ones. Uh, genetically modified things I want people to avoid because they, the research on them is very clear. They are not, uh, they're not bringing the research to the public, but the research has been done. It's very damaging. Um, and if you can, which depends on the parts of the world people live in and what's available, and of course what, what their money is, if you can, you want to try and remember this very, very simple rule. If you think you uh, would like to eat healthier, then in order to do that, Anything you eat, it must have also been eating healthier. People somehow or other forget that. So mm-hmm. somebody will say, "Oh, so so I should eat uh, beef and lamb and 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 turkey and, and fish and uh, all of those things are good for me." I go, "Well, I don't know. It depends on what they ate." So if somebody's eating corn-fed beef, which is what the restaurants in the U.S. all you know big big words corn-fed beef. Why do they say that? Because people have learned that when they eat beef, in which the beef has been – the cattle have been grazing uh, on uh, uh, a feedlot with big troughs filled with corn, it tastes good to them. Why? Because if you look at a piece of beef, you can see all the fat marbling is what the word is, marbling through the beef, and it makes it more tender. Well, if you have the same cattle and they're eating grass and weeds, they would have to live three times longer – to be able to get enough fat in them because grass is not fattening uh, in order for them to taste good. So grass-fed beef is much healthier, but you might have to make sure. I mean, I get a quarter of a cow maybe once a year or so, so that I have my beef, it goes to my freezer. But one of the questions I ask them after I know that the field is not sprayed and maybe even it's certified organic, um, but I ask them, at what age do you kill your, your steer to turn into meat? And if they say, oh, we usually kill them at 14 months or 16 months, I just hang up the phone. I don't want their beef. <laughs> because in order for grass-fed beef to taste nice and, and and tender and have enough fat in it, and this is good quality fat because the cattle were eating grass, those cattle need to be able to be between 22 months and 26 months old. That means they need to be a little under or a little over two years old instead of the nine months when they're eating corn. So we need to know what the animals... Eight. In addition to that, they are the animal we want. So the second part is not just what should we eat, but what did it eat?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds sounds good to me. And what about vegetable oils, polyunsaturated oils such as cotton seed and soybean oil, canola oil? Do you f- because I I think in the U.S. is the same way. I know I'm sure here in the Brazil they put a little heart on the the bottle of the the oil like heart health oil. Uh, I'm not sure about that. What do you think?
2: Uh, well, the the research is pretty clear. Uh, uh, again, the research is not getting out to the public because of the food industry. But the research is pretty clear. The when you take a look at populations, uh, hundreds of years ago, before we made everything in, in you know in laboratories, when all the fats people got were either in the food, such as the fat that was in the chicken skin, the fat that was in the egg yolk, the fat that was in the beef. Uh, or those few fats that we learned a long time ago how we could concentrate. So this was before anybody knew that you could press a soybean and you could get an oil out of it before they ever knew that you could press a dry corn kernel and get corn oil out of it. The ones that we ate back then before we had much of any heart disease, cancer, diabetes, all these different things were all the fats that were in the food and the fats that were in nuts and the fats that were in avocados uh and the only fats that have been used for thousands and thousands of years where people did discover this is the fats in milk so they knew they they learned how to make butter and so butter is a very healthy food if the cattle were eating grass that means it has the right fats in it and olive oil somehow or other in Europe they discovered that they could press olives and get olive oil on it and if you have Extra virgin olive oil, that's the properly pressed stuff, that seems to be a neutral fat. It is not a harmful fat, uh, whereas grass-fed butter is actually a beneficial fat. I call olive oil a neutral fat. And then there were two fats that were used in Asia for thousands of years. Again, I don't know how they learned that they could press into two fats. And those were sesame oil and uh, peanut oil. The problem is then they pressed them in big stone presses slowly and they never got hot. And when they used sesame oil and peanut oil in the utensil that gets used in Asia called a wok, uh, the custom way that the people were taught to do this, you know, the children were taught this by their their mother who cooked, is while you're cooking it, you keep on splashing water into the wok. And when you splash water into the wok every few seconds as you're cooking it over the, the fire, it keeps the temperature lower and it doesn't hurt those oils as much. So it's both the way they were used and the way they were pressed And today, it's very hard to find a sesame oil or a peanut oil that's pressed at low temperature and use it correctly. But the ones you mentioned are the dangerous oils. Those are the oils that are actually causing heart disease and clogging up our arteries. It's not the saturated fats that our body knows how to use. It's these new ones that are escalating the the rates of, of heart disease. And the ones you gave are exactly the ones that people should avoid. We should avoid cottonseed oil. We should avoid canola oil, which is made uh, by genetic modification. Uh, We should avoid soybean oil. Those are all the newer oils that are causing the newer problems. All margarine is is massively toxic because with margarine, you're taking an oil that would normally be a liquid, and you're chemically or hydrogenatingly processing it to turn it into a semi-solid. So, you're making it even less natural than the other ones are. So, margarine is very toxic.
1: Yep. Okay, we've been talking a lot about diet. Is there any other overlooked topics that you want to cover related to weight loss besides just uh, nutrition?
2: Well, certainly, I mean, exercise does play a part. I mean, if if somebody starts to do a little bit of exercise, that is going to help their metabolism. Um, And uh, sleep is very, very important. And Food in relation to sleep is very important. So they actually did a study. This study was done, I think, 30 years ago, uh, where they took a group of people and they split them in half. And these were people that, in order to become part of this study, these had to be people who said that their weight was very stable, that for the last year, no matter what they did, their weight didn't go up and down more than you know, maybe a pound or a half a pound. Their weight was very stable and they took these people and they asked them all when they usually ate their last meal of the day and mm-hmm. so they took a large group of people who had told them that they pretty much the last time they would eat during any any day was somewhere between two and a half and four hours before bed so whatever their last meal was um, it was two and a half to four hours before they went to bed and the next time they would eat when was breakfast when they got up in the morning and they broke broke these people into two groups and half the group was the control group and they said keep on doing exactly what you're doing and the other half they said we don't want you to change the food you're eating we don't want you to change the quantity of food you're eating but during this few month trial we want you to eat your last meal of the day about an hour and a half before you go to bed so the only change was instead of eating their last food two and a half to four hours before bed they were now going to eat their last food one to one and a half hours before bed, okay. and they all started gaining weight. Mm. Why so is that? The- same calories. Yeah. Why do you think that? Happened? Why is that? Sure, the reason that happens is because our bodies are pretty smart. I mean, they they know what they're. It's not a, it's not a brain that's doing this. I mean, the body just automatically knows what to do. But it's very important that food not just sit around and not get digested, and so energy gets diverted in to working on food so when it's supposed to be metabolizing and doing other things and regenerating and breaking down old tissue and building new tissue instead this energy is all bogged down working on all this food that should have already been processed and it can't do the other things and we end up gaining weight Mm, gotcha
1: interesting so I was talking to my father right before the call here that I was going to talk to you and I was like oh you should see David's uh protocol in terms of su- supplementation, what he takes in the morning and in the evening. It was like a, a big <laughs> a big uh, play, right? And I want to yep. get your, your opinion. I know there is a lot to talk about supplements for health as general. Do you have anything in particular for weight loss or do you just uh, handle the pretty much what we just cover diet, exercise, sleep, stress management?
2: Um, I pretty much don't uh have it different for weight loss. There there's only I mean yes if we are deficient in a bunch of different nutrients, the body can't do what it wants to do as well. And so if somebody is deficient in any number of different things, then the body simply isn't doing what it would like to do as well. And so I have what I call the basic 6 for the people who can afford it. In some places people can't afford to take additional nutrients, so all they can do is get the best food. But my basic 6 which are the things that cover most of the bases well enough that they'll make a difference in people's life. And whether the person will feel a difference or whether it will just be making them much less likely to get all sorts of different illnesses as they they get older depends on the person. See, we're used to drugs where somebody has a headache and they take an aspirin and in 45 minutes the pain goes away and they're not used to things that are not trying to address a specific thing they're simply trying to make sure that all of the building materials the body needs are there so we don't end up having long term deficiencies and get a disease. So, you know, people will ask me, well, I started taking a multiple vitamin and I didn't notice any difference. And that's sort of like if you normally drive your car and you have maybe a half a tank of gas and you put in some more when it gets lower. If you instead start driving your car with a full tank of gas, you won't notice any difference whatsoever, yes. but you'll be less likely to run out of gas by accident on the highway. Yes. And that's what happens. All of a sudden, the body needs a whole bunch more of some nutrient, and you didn't know that, and, you, and even when it happens, you don't know it, but now something doesn't work correctly because the nutrient wasn't there. So my basic six are a good quality multivitamin multimineral supplement, which has to be at least a two-tablet a day one because you have to take one with breakfast, And with dinner, otherwise you're deficient half the day. So number one is a good multiple. Okay. Uh, And when I say number one, I don't mean that they have to be in a specific order. Right. But number one is a good multiple. Number two uh, is a uh, fish oil or cod liver oil of some kind to bring in these special fats that we used to get enough of, but we don't anymore. And my favorite, you know, depending on what country they're available in, is made by Carlson, and I usually use Carlson cod liver oil, lemon flavored, but there are others out there that are good. Nordic Naturals makes another good one. So uh, first is the multivitamin mineral formula. Second is the cod liver oil. Third is a complex form of vitamin E that has all the parts of the vitamin E complex in it to protect the cod liver oil and all these other fats for eating so as they go around the body they don't get hurt and the best of those is called a product called unique e mm-hmm. there are others on the market that's just the one i found the best so now we're up to three unique e um, the research on vitamin d has found that in in north america you know i don't know about brazil but in north america um, ninety five to ninety eight percent of the public have less vitamin d in their body then the Vitamin D Research Council has found would be healthy. And that's amazing. That's that's almost 100%. Uh, And so I have people get their vitamin D tested if they can afford to get the test done. And if their numbers, and you have to be careful because uh, in metric countries and in uh, Abu Dhabi countries like the U.S., the numbers are different. So in the United States, they are checking nanograms per milliliter And the proper number for health is between 55 and 80 nanograms per milliliter. But if you're in a metric country where they instead test nanomoles per liter, you have to get online and find one of the conversion programs to see what the numbers are in that other way. And then you take a look and see what they are. If they're not between 55 and 80 and they start taking ah, somewhere between three and 5,000 units. It's a large number, but it's, a, it's actually a small amount of vitamin D in a little soft-gel liquid-filled capsule every day and make sure it's natural vitamin D3. And you do that for about three months, and you test it again. And if now it's where it belongs, then that's the amount you need to be taking, and you simply keep taking it. If it's still too low, you go up a couple thousand more. You do that for three months and check it again. So we've got a multi, we've got fish oil, we've got E, and we've got D. And now I want C because almost all animals manufacture vitamin C, and we don't. And so we have to bring in some extra vitamin C. So I tell people, you know, find a vitamin C that you can afford in the the store and and take at least 500 milligrams with breakfast and dinner. I have a lot of people taking a lot more than that. And then vitamin A is an interesting vitamin because the only place that vitamin A exists in nature is in the liver of fish and animals. Most people think, oh, no, wait a minute. I get vitamin A in carrots. Nope. No vitamin A in carrots. Not Hmm. a single molecule of vitamin A in carrots. Let's tell the vegetarians and the vegans. That's right. Vegetarians (laughs) and vegans all think they get their vitamin A from carrots, and they don't realize that carrots don't contain vitamin A. They contain a vitamin A precursor. And some of it, your body might be able to turn into vitamin A. Maybe. But you'd have to do some massive, expensive uh, testing to find out. So I want, unless people tell me, oh, but David, I love liver. I eat... Chicken liver and beef liver and lamb liver and, and I go well. If you eat liver, you know once a week, uh, then you don't need a vitamin A supplement. You're getting it the way nature intended. But most people, you know, you mention liver, they go, "Yeah, well, I would never eat that." So I have most patients take maybe ten thousand units of a natural form of vitamin A in a little food gel cap that says on the label "Vitamin A from fish." liver oil then i know they're getting the natural form and when they get all of those in there that we're just talking about um, sometimes i have them take some extra trace minerals but those are the basics multivitamin some kind of fish oil or cod liver oil vitamin e complex to protect all of it and then a c d and now we've got the basics that the body needs
1: Perfect. That's awesome. Anything else you want to share with us regarding fat loss and weight, uh, losing weight and all that kind
2: of good stuff? Um, well, you know, water can be important. Uh, sometimes the metabolism doesn't go as well as it should be if we're not drinking enough water. I don't really think of water for weight loss, but um, there's a, a condition called edema, which is when the body holds on to water. And sometimes some of the, the the weight people have is actually water weight. And the body is holding on to this water because the person isn't drinking enough and it's trying to conserve and hold on to it. Whereas if the person would start drinking more water, then sometimes it will process better, the poisons will come out better, uh they'll get rid of the extra, and if the poisons come out because we're drinking more water, maybe their metabolism will go up a little bit and that will help. So all of those things make a difference. And then there's an interesting thing for weight loss. If somebody has access and of course you could just bounce or, or skip rope also, you know, that's cheap. Go get a piece of rope and just skip rope. That way you don't have to buy a device. But if you you know, for people that, that can afford it and want to buy a device, there are these little miniature trampolines. They're called rebounders or rebound trampolines. And what's fascinating is that after you do a little bit of exercise, uh, jumping rope is a good example because when you're bouncing, it helps both the metabolism and the flow of lymph around your body. That after you stop, when you you stop doing it, uh, you still have a sped up metabolism for somewhere between 15 and 25 minutes. And so most people, when they exercise, are going to pick the amount of time they want to exercise, let's say maybe 45 minutes, and uh, three days a week, which is a good amount, they'll, they'll exercise. What they don't understand is if the purpose of exercising is general overall health or weight loss, they would actually be better off if they exercised less time and more times. So, for example, if somebody said, well, I know that I read somewhere that after I finish exercising, my metabolism is still going faster for a while afterwards, and so I still get the benefit even longer than when i've stopped exercising that's true so if instead of working out in the gym for forty five minutes or an hour, if you instead were able depends on what your job is or what you do during the day to uh you know jump rope or uh, you know bounce down on a rebound trampoline or whatever uh, if you could do that for five minutes five or six times a day. So it doesn't take long at all. You're just doing it for five minutes. You jump rope for five minutes, then you stop. Mm -hmm. An hour later, you jump rope for five minutes, and you stop. Very easy to fit in. That will also help because you have all these additional times and every one of those will continue for longer after you've stopped. So instead of just continuing after the one time, it continues after many times.
1: Mm, That's something that I... Never heard of. Thank you so much for sharing. Last question for you. Sure. If, so people are listening to this interview. They're super excited. They have a lot of information. And if you have to just give like one simple step for them right now after listening to this, what would that be?
2: The one simple step would be to um, remember this little piece of information. And that is that the easiest way to help determine if the meal that you just finished is a healthy meal. And, of course, you might have eaten bad quality. It might be the cheapest stuff around. It's all you can afford. Maybe it wasn't grass-fed. But to help determine if the types of food that you ate were most likely the healthier types that your body wants, you can do that. By how long it's going to be after you finish eating before you're hungry again. Mm. That's a very simple thing that I like people to think about. If after you finish breakfast or after you finish lunch or dinner or whatever you call your meals in different languages, if when you're finished, you are not the least bit hungry. You are not you don't feel hungry, you don't want to reach for a snack, you just you don't even think about food for five hours or more, then it was probably a fairly healthy meal, and more is better. You know, I finish a big breakfast. For breakfast, I'll have maybe four eggs, four extra large eggs. So I'm not hungry, and then maybe if I finish breakfast, let's say I generally finish breakfast. My first patient comes into my office at 9.30. So I finish breakfast at about 9 o'clock. And so let's see, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3. 3 o'clock would be, would be 6 hours. I'm usually not hungry until 3 or 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So that's six or seven hours, but if you are hungry in less than five hours, then something was wrong with the meal. Either there wasn't enough fat and protein or there was a sabotage of food added, and either one of those will do it. So one person says, "Well, but you know I have two eggs for breakfast and I'm hungry in three hours." They go, "Well, obviously, then your body does not agree with you of how many eggs you should have had. Right. Try four eggs." You know, and you, they, they say four eggs, but then I'll be stuffed, I mean, between the four eggs and the glass of orange juice and the two pieces of bread. And I go, okay, so now I want you to do an experiment. Don't have the bread. Don't have the orange juice. Just for a couple of days, have only the four eggs. So now it won't be more food because we're cutting the other food out and see what happens. And they're always so surprised that they're not eating any more food. They're just cutting out a couple of sabotage foods and replacing them with more good foods. And they go, wow, oh my goodness. I I mean, I wasn't any more full. I just replaced the the, the bread and the juice with a couple more eggs. Uh, But I I wasn't hungry for hours longer. That's Mm -hmm. right, because you ate foods that help level out your blood sugar and keep your body happier. And the only reason people today are believing something which is very wrong which is that we're supposed to eat all day. We're supposed to eat like cattle. We're supposed to graze. That's total nonsense. That happened because when the dieticians and the medical profession refused to look at the valid research and started telling people that they needed to eat more starches, more whole grains, and less fats, people got hungry faster because that's what happens. You're eating a sabotage food. It sabotages your abilities. And so instead of going, oops, we must have goofed because if you go back a long time ago to when our DNA was programmed, obviously we didn't have any stores, we didn't have any refrigeration, we didn't have any cabinets, so our DNA couldn't possibly be programmed that for health we should be eating all day because we were never able to, and that's when it got programmed. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying that and realizing we were wrong, they instead said, oh, well, um, let's see, if you're hungry all day, I guess you're supposed to eat all day, which is not right.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Thanks so much for that. So what's next for you? Where can people find you on the internet?
2: Well, the easiest way to get me is with my name. Uh, If you put in davidgetoff.com, it will immediately redirect you to my webpage. And when people have trouble, it's because they can't quite believe that somebody's last name is Get Off. off So they they take it. yeah, they, they, they split it up. They put in two Ts instead of one. They remove one of the Fs, and then they screw it up. But if it's just get off, getoff, G-E-T-O-F-F, davidgetoff.com, that will bring them there. And what I'm trying to remind people lately is I have a little button there that says subscribe. Uh, I don't send out a lot of emails. I mean, the people that have subscribed to my website over the last two years probably have gotten two emails from me in two years. Wow. However, I am working on an educational website. I haven't decided exactly what it will be called, but it's going to have all of my uh, videos that currently are rather expensive. So like my video on healthy eating is $60 for a three-and-a-half-hour video. My video on diabetes is $40. That's too much. Too many people can't afford it. And besides which, they don't, don't want to watch it again. They want to watch it once. They don't need the video. You know, if you, If you go to the movies, you pay an amount, and you go and you sit there and you watch the movie, and you come out and you leave. You don't need to have the DVD of that movie. You don't have to buy it. So I want to make it so people can instead pay to just watch the DVD one time and take whatever notes they want, and they don't have to own it. So instead of maybe $40 or $50 or $60, maybe it'll be eight ninety five. I haven't decided yet. And they get the rights, just like going to a movie theater, to watch it once. And that is being worked on, and I'm hoping by the end of January or not too much after that, it'll be ready and uh, anybody that subscribes on my website, presses that button, puts their email address in, I will let them know as soon as the website is up, so that you'll know that it's there.
1: Perfect, awesome. I'm gonna let everybody know when when it's ready. David, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate the time and talk to you soon. Man,
2: you are very welcome. Absolutely, okay. talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Go to www.brazilianhealthnut.com for much more information about how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Hasta luego.